Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend this hour with us. So I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and empower people, especially adults, to own their voice that come in so many different forms. So this space was created to talk with people with all different jobs, hobbies, and interests, and have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. One, how do you define creativity? Two, how do you incorporate it into your life? And three, why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to talk to musicians, Reiki masters, mediums, doctor, lawyer, real estate agents, and so many more. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as their soul's essence, courage, imagination, basically all that we are and wanna be. So sharing these stories expands one's thinking and opens up self-expression to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. So my inspiring guest for today is Shannon McFarlane. Shannon is a practicing compassion, I'm sorry, let me start that again. Shannon is a human practicing compassion and empathy while she lives, loves, and plays in the Pacific Northwest in the USA. She works as a photographer, a memorial artist, and adores the moments when she can witness people seeing their loved ones in art for the first time. I can't wait for this conversation. Shannon, welcome to the space. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. It's going to be such a rich conversation. Yes, I'm excited. I'm just hearing your introduction and listening to some of the previous episodes about how many different views there are on creativity and what it means to people and and how they practice it. I mean, that is just the best stuff because that's what it's all about. It's different for everyone. Exactly. And thank you. It's been, it just lights me up every time. So that's why what you're bringing, what you're bringing, your energy that you're bringing to the space today is just going to be incredible. So um, in me reading just that little, little bit about you, can you please just tell us a little bit more about yourself before we dive in? Sure. Um, I Well, I suppose you're most interested about my work. <laughs> wherever, honestly, this is a conversation space. So wherever you want to start in your journey, or we're going to dive deeper into that later, but what, whatever you want to share at the moment. Okay, well, I'll give you a high-level thing. I am a I, I'm a grief photographer, basically. So um, instead of photographing families standing in a field, smiling and wearing clothes that they won't put on again, I photograph families that are in hospice or in funeral homes or going through long-term medical treatment. And also do the same for families that include animal family members where there's a, a very old dog who is dying or you know something along that line and um there's some interesting discussions around that because so many people think of that as being morbid and inappropriate and disgusting and i can appreciate some of those comments but i also see things that they don't and that's that there's a lot of love in these moments and people feeling very connected 
to one another and giving them this kind of photograph is something that helps them as they are grieving for the rest of their lives. Yes. It's as you're, as, oh gosh, it's such power what you are doing. You're giving such a gift in capturing these moments and are they the most comfortable moments? No. Are they necessarily how we want to remember our loved ones, um, be it human and animals? Not necessarily in that state, but at the same time, because I've been I've been in this space before. So it's it's being able to witness and capture those moments because we get lost in sitting next to my father as we pulled the plug and was and even prior to that, when um, people were coming in and saying their goodbyes, you don't see a lot of things because you're in yourself, um, you're in your emotions. So there's a lot that you miss, but there's so much beauty to be seen in those moments. That's exactly right. I think it's similar to um, a lot of people can relate to wedding photography and how wonderful that is. And the experience of having the day go by so quickly that there's a lot of stuff that you miss. And I think that these more uncomfortable times are a lot like that. We are in shock or under duress. And the brains can only process so much information at once. Having photographs of some of these things during the grieving process can be really helpful for some people because they have all the time they need to go back and process what happened. And they have things to look at to help them remember so there's not as much pressure to remember every little thing mm -hmm. and they can take their time with it which is I mean I'm speaking from my own experience because I I use this for myself but also in talking to families they say you know it's just there were so many things that I didn't I didn't know were going on like some of the expressions on the nurses faces or you know things like that you just you can't be aware of all of that because you're trying to be connected to your someone and what's happening, which is appropriate. And having someone be able to show you, this is the big picture and these are some of the details of all of this stuff is, um, well, I think it just feels good to be seen, to be acknowledged yeah. and to have somebody say, yeah, this, this really did suck. Mm -hmm. And love the parts in this as well. Yeah. I think it's 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 not a topic that people love to talk about, um, but it's an important topic because none of us, like a quote that I recently read from Richard Gere, and we all know this, but it's like none of us are getting out of this world alive. So um, it's capturing the moments and embracing and... Um, yeah, this is just going to be such a great conversation. So we're going to dive in deeper and thank you for sharing what you've shared so far. We are going to go to a would you rather question, which I chose a simple one for you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go from there. And yeah. Okay. So Shannon. I'm feeling the pressure already. <laughs> <laughs> this is a light one. This okay. Is light. okay. <laughs> would you rather have French fries or chocolate cake? Oh, dear. Um, well, I'm allergic to potatoes, so chocolate cake. There we go. That was easy. <laughs> See? <laughs> Very simple. Do you have a, um, a preference with your chocolate cake? 
Well, um, I don't mean this to be a plug for somebody else, but there's this uh, person, Rachel, she has a site called Bakerita and okay. she has recipes that are grain free and vegan and um, don't have sugar in them. And I mean, her, her recipes are the best. So I make a lot of her stuff and I think it's absolutely delicious. Mm, okay, everybody. So check out Bakerita. <laughs> That's amazing. It's great when you can find, you know, these, these um, places to connect with that help you because yes, there are so many, I totally get it with food allergies and sensitivities and all that kind of stuff. And I dive into something and I'm just like, oh, damn, what was in that? That's making me feel like I can't breathe. <laughs> I didn't. And then the next I forgot to ask. Mm -hmm. I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. See, so we got through that. We're good. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> okay. So first official question is, how do you define creativity? For me, creativity has two big parts. One, the first part, which I think has to come first for me, is vulnerability. And that's me letting go of expectations or attachments that I have to what's going to happen, to whatever it is ultimately that I create, to judging what's going on instead of taking it in. I've got to let go of all of that stuff. And it's only then that I can start to see and feel and fully experience what I'm witnessing. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think people talk about where they, um, they get struck by those bolts of creativity and inspiration where something comes to them that doesn't feel like it's from them. It's a download from somewhere else. Yes, yes, And yes. I think that, um, that being vulnerable invites that to happen in my case, because if I'm clutching very tightly to a vision that I have, and I'm unwilling to be flexible and responsive, and I know that my way is going to work and it's the right way, then I've, I've let go of the ability to receive that kind of help, that spark that comes or the inspiration that comes. So I, I'm a really logical person and I tend to be very judgmental. I want to see things in black and white and I know that that's not the most helpful for me or beneficial for anyone else. So it is a daily practice of not doing that. For me then, that vulnerability is the first step. And then the second piece of that is inviting playfulness into it that I could go through and check off all of the things about the vulnerability section, not being judgmental, check. Being aware of what's going on, check. Um, being willing to experience emotion, check. I could check all of that off and it still wouldn't be playful. And so whatever I create or the process would be, eh, not that interesting, not necessarily creative. Mm. So for me, I have to bring play into it and play play being that engaged state where there's no the purpose is play itself it's not creation of something i'm not 
attaching my productivity to a result somehow, I'm the productivity is the play, is the engagement, is the losing track of time. <laughs> yes. Ah, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much that you said in there. Okay, so let's see. Where am I going to start on this? So um, vulnerability and judging. Um, I like how you kind of put it within the framework of like a checklist in a sense. Okay, am I being vulnerable? Check. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's having control. <laughs> like, right. You're still seeking control. It's like, uh, okay, if vulnerability is letting go of expectations and what's going to happen and being open to the possibilities, then just checking it off the list is controlling the possibilities because you've owned that you're doing that. And it's yeah. just, they, they don't, it's a contradiction. Yep. So I love that you brought that up and owning the fact in humanness, yes, we can be judgy. Like it's, it can be within human nature that we kind of do that. We compare ourselves. We, it, it happens. Um, but it's like calling ourselves out on it and being like, for me, I'm like, Hollis, what are you doing? Like you're getting stuck in your head. You're not in your heart. Cause if you were in your heart, then you wouldn't be coming from that space. You're being too logical. You're being too, uh, well, why, 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 and how, 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 as opposed to being in the play, being vulnerable, inviting it in, and not having any other expectation per se, but being in the moment, because that's when the downloads happen. Right. Right. So it's, it's, there's just power in that. And all of that being said, it's not necessarily easy. It's an awareness. Um, but being, I know for me, I've really owned like re just really consciously being aware of wanting to play more mm -hmm. and taking action to play more. Like yesterday, my daughter and I were, we were running errands and doing things and I forgot an appointment. I was caught up in something else and I didn't put it in my calendar and it ended up not being a big deal. But my daughter just, she's 18. She just looked at me and she's just like, mom, just stop. I'm like, yeah, you're exactly right. Like we're being in the moment of being together and being silly and singing and sucking while we're singing and, <laughs> and, um, being on, on, in the search for the perfect smoothie, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. And it seems to me that the, I'm sure that you have this conversation too, where you talk with an adult who says, oh, I'm not creative. Yes. I could never be creative. I could never do what you do. And the things that we that I prize about creativity, the vulnerability and the playfulness are things that I notice that adults are somehow expected to not embody that somehow that's not very adult-like behavior yes and we expect it out of children and we think it's magical 
we see these young children that are creating all kinds of things and they're exploring the world and, and then they start going to school. And, you know, by the time they get to seven or eight, their lives become less magical developmentally, but also in the, in the social construct sense, there are all these social norms coming in from school and from their peers and the influences from other families. And so things like vulnerability become less important because there aren't as many safe spaces and um, the playfulness, there's not time for that. They have stuff to do and they have to stay on task, right? There's so many conversations about kids being on task and how do I get my kid to do this? Or we need help with this and scheduling them. And I just, I don't know. I think that if we could all be more childlike, which I know a lot of artists have said, then a lot of good things would come from that. It's not weak to be vulnerable. It requires a lot more to be vulnerable than it does to be stoic or walled off. Yes. Yes. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about your journey because I love how in our pre-chat, um, I just love how you use the camera and um, what you're teaching people about and actually more than just being a camera, um, using their eyes and, and emotions and how, what did you do prior to this? Were you always you know, a quote unquote photographer or um, what did you do prior to this part of your life? So directly prior to this, I was a responder for emergencies and disasters. So I did, um, I wasn't the person that was in the full gear on site, but I was back in the emergency operations center doing things like analysis of hazards and giving information to scientists and um, keeping people apprised of what was going on and what resources were available. So very geeky, not creative, not vulnerable work. I would still call it creative though, because you're taking in information and you're synthesizing it and you're making it something that can be understood for others. So yeah, I suppose maybe there is some creativity involved in that. It just, uh, it was definitely an environment where creativity was not encouraged because mm. we were all supposed to be doing things in a very standardized way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not, not very um, artistic at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had, while I was working there, I had a side business in photography. I had that for a long time. And it was one of those things that I, I said it was a business and I had a license and I paid taxes. I didn't really run it like a business because it was just a very expensive hobby, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is very relatable. I know for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, over time, the, the work in response ate up my nervous system. I got really sick. It was about the same time that my son was diagnosed with epilepsy. And mm-hmm. so that was a hard time. Mm-hmm. And um, there just came this point, my doctor had been telling me for over a year, said, this career that you've chosen is not compatible with your health. 
and you can stay in it. And I'm sure that you'll do well in your career, but you're going to stay sick. And mm -hmm. that's not a good way to be. Or you can find something a little bit different and give yourself some time to heal and recover and maybe find happiness in another way. And I put her off for a long time. And finally I realized, you know, she's, she's right. And she's probably not going to treat me anymore <laughs> if I don't hold up my end of the bargain and make some changes as well. So I quit and I thought that I would figure out something else that was not art to stay home. And uh, here I am uh, six years later, I think, doing mm -hmm. art full time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing. First of all, your doctor sounds incredible. I she mean, is wonderful. <laughs> she actually was telling you, using the words heal, recover, what you're doing every day is not serving you. Mm -hmm. So it's not uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, it's not serving you. And um, it's affecting your health and it's affecting your happiness. So it's your choice as to what you do moving forward. And a lot of people will be like, well, I don't really have a choice. It pays the bills. It does what it does. And yes, I hear anybody who is thinking that in their head right now. And yes, those are all concrete facts. But at the same time, while we're here and it's making us sick and it's making us miserable and disconnected from ourselves and everybody around us, then I find it to be our due diligence to find something else. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that we can actually enjoy this life that we have while we have it. Um, so kudos to your amazing doctor for pushing you in a direction. Yes. She's, she's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then talk to, talk to us more about how, so photography was your side business. Was it always within this focus of where you're at now? No, I, I was that photographer that was photographing families in fields wearing clothes that they put on again. Mm -hmm. And that felt okay. I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing because the, that is the predominant culture in photography. Um, so I was just happy when anybody hired me to photograph anything, I would say, oh yes, I would do that. And um. I, what happened was that while I was still still working in emergency management, I got pregnant and the pregnancy was hard and I had two threatened miscarriages. And then halfway through the pregnancy, the maternal fetal medicine doctor, so that's the high risk doctor, mm -hmm. said, your baby is incompatible with life. And then in the same breath said, I have an appointment for termination this afternoon. <gasps> It's in a couple of hours, so you'll need to be quick about making a decision with this. Oh, my God, Shannon. He left the room, and my husband was there. We were there for an ultrasound. My husband was there next to me, and I looked over at him, and I said, I'm going to follow her down the hall and punch her in the face. He said, oh, my no, God. And th Wait, that was a woman that said that? Yeah, it was a woman. Oh, my gosh. Um, so thank goodness for reasonable people during times of stress. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was just the beginning of a lot of other conversations. And the, the spoiler of this story is that our, our young person is eight years old now. He's very compatible with life, perhaps over so. God. He, he has medical stuff for sure. He's not 
I don't think what you would call a perfectly healthy human being. He's had inpatient hospital stays and surgeries and things like that, but he is, he's wonderful and he definitely makes a difference in this world. And we're so glad that we know him. Mm -hmm. So we did not take that appointment. Mm -hmm. Um, He was, we, they kept telling us, well, he's, you know, he's, he's going to be born dead. He's going to die in utero. You're going to have to deliver a dead baby. And they didn't say any of this as, as frankly as I'm saying it. They, mm-hmm. they did all the euphemistic, euphemistic things. Um, and, well, if he is born, then he's only going to be alive for a short time. And if he does live to be a year old, it's going to be a very poor quality of life. Um, you know, so it's still kind of encouraging me to end his life. Mm-hmm. because that was the kind thing to do, the compassionate thing to do. And when he was born, he was in the NICU for a while. He had surgery right after. He went from he went from labor and delivery down to the NICU and was being prepared for surgery and was in there three hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was in the NICU, I had my camera with me, and it felt like my my grounding rod because there was so much happening and I felt disoriented and I'd had months to prepare for this. And still I wasn't, I didn't feel prepared. It's impossible. You can do things logistically to get ready. Just like with, with death, when someone you love is dying, you can do the things logistically to get ready for that. Mm -hmm. You can't ever really be prepared though, because the emotions are just, it's a lot and you never yeah. know how they're going to show up in a particular day and they change and there's so much movement and it's very overwhelming. So yeah. I had the camera there and it was helping me literally focus on things that were important. And I also wanted to document this because later I wanted to be able to tell him these stories. That was mm-hmm. my initial purpose. I wanted to be able to say, this is where you've been. This is how everything started. And look at this. It's incredible. What these people did for you, what you were able to do for yourself, what we all did together. This is amazing. It was hard and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I was documenting the little things and the big things and the in-between things. And other parents saw me in there and they say, hey, would you come down to, to our room and do some photographs? Would that be okay? Um. So I did. And then it becomes the NICU is a community, definitely. Very close community. And some of the babies that I had photographed, some of the families that I had gotten to know, their babies died. Mm -hmm. And those parents would contact me again and say, their baby has died. And it would really mean a lot to us if you could come to the service with your camera. And that's when I started to feel, I felt that initial, ooh, this is weird kind of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know anybody that does this. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. But they, they had faith in me and they believed that it was the right thing. And it was their offer, not mine. And so they asked me to, and I didn't want to let them down. So I went and I photographed things and I was just putting myself as much as I could in their position and thinking, okay, now, I'm a parent, 
I've been through some of this, not all of it. I've thought about this happening. What kinds of things would be important for me to be able to see later? What kinds of things would I want to access later? What kinds of things do I think that I would overlook at this time, at this event? And that's the stuff that I started to photograph. And so people think of funeral photography and they think, oh my gosh, you're photographing dead bodies? That's so disgusting and disrespectful. And you can photograph a dead body and have it be a very beautiful thing. Most funeral photography is not about photographing dead bodies. It's about photographing people coming together in the memory of someone they love. It's about sharing stories. It's about crying. It's about hugging and holding hands and laughing and being silent. It's about details that people worked hard on to make decisions because they couldn't make decisions about what to wear that day. But somehow they managed to make a decision about what flowers to order, you know, it's stuff like that. So um, that's how it got started. It was just a couple of families in the NICU. And then they started telling their friends because the, the community for medically high need families is, I don't think that it's a small community. It is very connected. We talk to each other a lot because we have to. The other right. people in our lives um, find it hard to understand where we're coming from and what things are like for us and what kind of support is valuable for us. So it all really just started from people saying, oh, I, I know this person and I know that you have this big treatment coming up and you need to call her because she will come and she'll do photographs of you. Here are the photographs that you did. And they pull them out and they start sharing things. And then there's more conversations and a different kind of, of healing and connection and bonding that happens. And then the other family is like, yeah, we, we want to do that too. So they send me a message and say, we know you from this person and was wondering if you would do this for us too. And that's, that's how it all started and how it's still going. Most of the families that I'm helping have have kids, usually under the age of 10, someone who is um, experiencing a long-term medical treatment or is in hospice already. And they're just trying to figure out how to make life the best that they can. Mm. <sighs> just processing, because it's so beautiful. I mean, there's there's so much, it's like when I, you know, read in your short bio in the beginning, uh, you're a human practicing compassion and empathy. So everything that you're doing and is coming from a place of healing and bonding and creating nurturing spaces and visuals, it, it's, I keep saying it, but it's capturing those moments in what people want to capture because of when you said in the details like it's just so interesting i you know i think of when my uh when we lost my dad and so much my mom will say you know it's been 18 years almost 19 years but she's just like so much was a blur yes and um it, it's like she actually <laughs> when she went and you know had to pick out the the coffin and just all of this stuff and 
she's we're actually writing a book about it, a collaborative book, um, but uh, called Struggling Well. Thanks for asking. Mm. But um, she she just went to the funeral director and said, "Do you have something beachy?" <laughs> <laughs> like it's worse because we love the beach so um he just kind of paused and then found like you know a wooden box that worked really well and just all of these she's like I just don't know like how all of this stuff happened I don't know how all of it unraveled and um what you're doing is really offering people a space for um compassion and um and having a an end product a visual to show connection and emotion mm -hmm. and it, i think that people during hard times like this they feel invisible and unseen because they may have yeah. very loving people in their lives that are also extremely uncomfortable with what is happening and so there's that tendency for people to say, okay, well, call me if you need anything or, yes. um, well, at least, you know, you still have this good thing going on or they say these things that they, they're actively turning away from the person's grief, turning away from the person's need for connection instead of showing up and saying, here I am, blast me with whatever you're feeling. I'm here for you and you deserve to be witnessed and you deserve to be seen and yes this is as bad as you think it is i'm not gonna silver lining you into a different reality because it's more comfortable for me and photographs do that really well having somebody come and um professionally witness you for lack of a better term i realize that sounds rather impersonal but it is really personal work very yeah. deeply personal work, but have somebody come and reflect back to you some of the things that you may have noticed, but maybe you didn't. Someone that can point out, yeah, this was this was a big deal. I noticed this, and I saw this, and I saw this. And to have people look at these photographs later, I mean, there's just this feeling of, relief a lot of mm. the time that they gaslight themselves frequently into thinking that this really wasn't they're making it a bigger deal that it's been months and months and they're still mm -hmm. having a hard time and that they should be over it they should be moving on and then they look back at the photographs and they realize well oh yes of course this is why I'm having a hard time. There was so much more here than just the things that other people are willing or able to acknowledge. Yes. Yes. You're able to, um, I keep saying that. Yes. Yes. I just, I'm like, I think it's such an important topic to be speaking about and, uh, this actively turning away from the need for connection it's what makes other people uncomfortable. It's so it's true. I mean, it, it's people get uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. They feel like they're doing the wrong thing. So often it's, it's that uh, turning away from it mm -hmm. instead of just being a listener and saying, I truly am present for you. Like 
people don't have to respond all the time. I find this, what is what happens, you know, in, in what I do, it's this whole idea of the word creativity and people opening themselves up and being expressive and using the word that you highlighted to today, vulnerable is that people are not willing to really just be a listener. They always feel like you have to have an answer for everything and to fix things. Yes. The fixers. Boy, the fixers come out big time when you're grieving. And the intention isn't bad. It's like not a bad, it's just not wanting to actually allow people to be in the emotion. We're entitled to be in an emotion. It's how long we live in that emotion and, and how long that can take us over, which can be like victimhood or, you know, moving uh, empowerment. Um, but people, you, you need to feel, you need, Mm -hmm. you need to have emotion and work, work your way through it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that the, the fixers ever mean to minimize what someone else is experiencing, but they're so uncomfortable with it that they can't be with it themselves. So they want that person to revert back to an earlier version where they were comfortable with that person and they felt like they were connected and that things were easier. Yeah. Yeah. Easier, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was easier then before this happened and kind of changed everything. Yeah. And in, in a griever's life, there's a very distinct before and after. And I think that's something that, that people that haven't experienced or haven't allowed themselves to experience a significant loss are disconnected from. Mm -hmm. And so they, um, people will say things like move on or it's been six months. And the person is thinking, well, every, everything is very black and white. It's very before and after for me. And I've got to learn how to live this next part of my life without my someone and I don't know how to do that and I'm not going to learn that in six months time because oh my goodness it took me decades to learn how to be an adult and then when I got there I still made crap decisions (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and then you have kids who then point out the crap decisions that you made and you're like huh <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best decision. We're all <laughs> serve the higher purpose of everybody. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's learning. It seems that people just think that we um that we know how to grieve, that we know how to start incorporating loss into our lives so that it doesn't become a separate thing, but it is just it's a part of who we are and we move forward with that. We don't move on. We take all of that with us. It becomes a part of our experience and it, it changes us. So we can't go back to the way that we were before, but there's, um, there's not a lot of discussion about how to do this, about what tools are available and that therapy alone is not, always the right thing for people. Some people really struggle in therapy or they have a super hard time finding the right therapist that's going to honor their their cultural beliefs, for example. There's a lot of mismatches with therapists that way. 
they're doing the best that they can, but there's a lot of things they just don't understand. And I like photography for that because it's something that people can do themselves to help them process things and to try to find ways for it all to make sense. So I'm going to move on to my second question soon, but I want to... I want to ask this question. So in this idea of grief that we have, I also want to hear what your thoughts are, are in celebration in these moments. Oh, um, well, I, okay. So I'll tell you what my take on grief is. And I think this might answer the question. Mm -hmm. It seems that most of the people I talk to think of grief as being a single emotion that is anguish or sadness. For me, I see grief as a cluster of things, and grief is a total emotional package of all of the emotions that you would experience in the relationship. And because there, there has been some sort of change in how you relate to each other, there's usually a physical loss. The grief comes in and is meant to help us reconnect, to reestablish or not reestablish, to find ways to maintain the relationship. Because just because someone dies does not mean that the relationship ends. Oh my God. That is so powerful. Do you hear that everybody? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Which <laughs> for me is laughing until I wet my pants. Mm -hmm. It is the, the, joy that I can't explain that just shoots through me once in a while where I remember something and it's not that I was doing something that would have prompted the memory it just comes mm -hmm. and I laugh for a while it's grief is frustration it's anger it's sadness it's so many things that I would feel in a relationship if things were plugging along just as they had always been and because we no longer have a, a, a person, a direction to send these things, it, they become very confusing because they're just hanging out in us all the time and they're moving around and it's hard to orient them. So mm. celebration is absolutely a vital part of grief. There needs to be celebration. There needs to be acknowledgement of all parts of the relationship, the more complicated grief where when someone you love dies and the relationship was also strained, you know, there's a whole different set of stuff that comes up with that compared to a parent who is burying a child where mm -hmm. everything seemed very perfect and the, the relationship was strained because there was three years of cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so the celebration is, is vital. And I understand that not everyone feels that they can jump into that right away. And that's appropriate. And I don't think it's right for the rest of us to try to push that on somebody. Well, you know, he's in a better place now. Let's celebrate his life. Okay, well, excuse me, I don't feel like doing that right now. Right, right now, I am wallowing and trying to come to terms with the fact that 
there will be no more birthdays with him, no more anniversaries, no more holidays, that my future does not have him in it anymore in the way that I expected. And I got to figure that out first. And then maybe I can look back and celebrate. But right now I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And we got to allow time for that too. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So let's find out a little bit more about you and um, how you incorporate creativity into your own life. How does that work for you? We know the photography, obviously. Are there other things that you do for yourself for outlets or expression? Um, lately, the biggest one for me is dance. A long time ago, a long time ago, I had a career as a professional dancer. It was mostly a teacher. I did some competition. And moving feels so delicious to me. Mm-hmm. It's just some of the best medicine. And I'm grateful that I get to do it. And I have had grief about movement because there have been times when I haven't been able to. When I've been mm-hmm. at my sickest, it was hard even just to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so waking up in the morning and having a little bit to eat and having some play with the dog time and just hanging out for a bit and then dancing by myself to whatever music I like where I'm not concerned about anybody seeing me or judging me or any of that, that feels really good. And if I can start my day like that, everything else seems so much better. But it's it's little stuff. And going back to the vulnerability, it's being willing to notice things that are happening, like in the Northern Hemisphere, spring is coming. And mm-hmm. I walked out into the yard a couple of days ago, and I noticed that our camellia had buds. And I was so excited. Yeah. The neighbor's camellias have already bloomed, and they're gorgeous. And we live in a an old growth forest, so... All of our blooming is about six weeks behind what everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful metaphor for life, I think. <laughs> 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 just to look out there and see the buds, it, just noticing the smaller things. I got so excited about that. And it maybe doesn't seem like a creative thing, but finding different ways to look at those buds and appreciate them for what they are and what they do can certainly be because how many different ways can I look at them? Yes. Camera with me, how many different ways could I represent them? What is important for me to notice about them or share with someone else? And it's, it's the stuff like that. Living with a young person makes all of this more prevalent in my life because he's doing that naturally. And sometimes he takes me along for the ride. (laughs) And we have times where we just walk around and notice things. And it feels really good. It's not always, creativity for me is usually not about making something. It's about uh, releasing myself, I suppose. Somebody once told me um, when his someone died, he said, well, yes, I'm returning her to the universe. I got to borrow her for a time. Now I'm returning her. Hmm. And I kind of feel that way about creativity. 
and the work that I do, that it's not really, it's not about me at all, that when I am engaged in that, I'm returning myself to the universe in some way. I'm putting myself out there and saying, I am your vessel and you will use me as is required. Yes. And opening myself to all of that. So anybody that wants to send messages or inspire or give direction or whatever, I'm receiving it and I will act on it, I promise. Well, and it relieves a lot of pressure, doesn't it? I think so, because it's, I, I have, I also write a lot and I can relate to writer's block, sitting down at a blank screen or a blank paper and thinking, okay, now what am I going to write about? And they sometimes get the same thing when I start with a white canvas. It's intimidating. I yeah. feel intimidated with starting from nothing. And it's in those moments that I realize, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't released myself. I need to give myself up here. And this is not about me. This is about whatever needs to happen. So let me step out of the way so these things can take over. And I can just be a giddy bystander saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. I've so been learning that in getting older and having more experiences and getting out of my own way mm -hmm. that instead of getting bogged down with the fear and the questioning and the and the how it's realizing that, well, what will happen if what will happen if I turn red and purple during that time? And then people know that I'm nervous or embarrassed or any of those silly thoughts with many other thoughts coupled on top of that. And once I've realized that it's not about me, Hollis, it's about my objective. It's about my mission. And I'm open to receiving and letting it flow through. It, it just, it comes out. Yeah. And it, it, it's honest and it's, it's, it's childlike in the sense that it's really, it's, it's authentic. It's completely authentic. Yeah. And you, you look back at it later and you just instantly feel all kinds of things. There's a visceral emotional response. Yes. And that is gorgeous. Yes. That's exactly it. Like you really do. You feel it with every fiber of your being. Mm-hmm. So are you teaching, do I remember this correctly? Are you teaching people um, about photography as well? Like how to use it on their phones as simply as on their phones? Yeah, I have a, I have a class going right now for phone photography. And it, you know, we cover a different element every week. And it's a very non-technical course because um, when I was learning, I struggled a lot with the technical stuff. It took me years to start to understand it. And I'm geeky. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I just couldn't grasp it. So when I teach people, I teach them more about how to settle themselves and ground themselves and what it is that they want to say or what it is that they want to represent. What are your values? I mean, let's get to know who you are as a person because that is going to influence what you find interesting and what you're curious about. That's mm -hmm. going to be what you photograph. And people haven't heard it like that before they're expecting no, they have not. the exposure triangle and they're expect to have um, expecting to have specific assignments where it's photograph a red flower and make sure you get the light right um, and so we're talking about different things and it's really it feels so good to see people 
like we were talking about, they release themselves. They give up the pressure that they've been putting on themselves and they make the space to joyfully create things just because it feels good because it's playful and they become more vulnerable. And this is stuff that I started doing with families when they were in hospitals, primarily a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And as a way to, as I was noticing that the kids, the patients, they were living lives where they have almost no control. And that's true for most children, but especially a child who's living in the hospital, it's really hard. And I wanted to give them a way to amplify what they had to say, but do it in a way that felt very accessible for them, even if they had to stay in their beds the whole time. Mm -hmm. So I would make sure that they had cameras and I'd show them a couple things and say, well, you know, just photograph what's interesting to you. And we'd talk about some stuff about, well, you notice that the light coming in through your window, it changes throughout the day. And you notice that it moves in your room and it kind of changes color. And we would talk about things like that in whatever ways that they could appreciate. And seeing them being able to share photographs with their family members, with their siblings, with their parents is Oh, gosh, I don't know that I can come up with words that honor this, but it starts conversations that these families have never had. And it brings up things that the parents weren't aware of, that they're seeing, you know, my child is showing me that this is important and I never even considered it because I've been focused on all of these things in my very parent-centered life. And he's worried about this. And um, so it, it gives it gives kids or anybody a way to say something that's important and needs to be listened to, needs to be witnessed and acknowledged in some fashion without having to rely on finding the right words because sometimes you just don't have them. You don't know how do I uh, how do I put all this together so that someone will understand me without misinterpreting what I'm saying. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but this is also really important to me and I feel like nobody's listening. You can't get more important than that. I mean, you just, it's, that's what's so beautiful to me about, about photography um, and the, a person's eye. Um, Cause it's all about perspective. It's mm -hmm. here, wherever you're pointing the lens, whether you're choosing to, zoom in, get a wide shot, have it on an angle. Um, what is being focused on is what is of importance or what's being explored. And it's just, uh, that's really what captures me about the different perspectives. It's like, you could all be, we could be all be looking at the same vase of flowers, but there will not be one picture that is exactly the same because of the lighting, maybe somebody zoomed in on a flower. Maybe it's like so close up that it's blurry. Maybe it's like a complete wide shot where you get the background as well. Like there's unlimited possibilities. And I can't stress enough in what you're saying and in, in providing the space for people to feel heard and nurtured and start conversations. There's nothing more powerful than that. Yeah, that's what art is meant to do. 
it's yeah. it's meant to elicit emotional responses from people and i for me if something doesn't do that then it's more of a decoration instead of art right art art has to have emotion behind it there's got to be some some conversation starter there and there are a lot of things to say around uncomfortable topics i believe that photography can help us have those conversations even if those conversations don't involve words yeah those are often the best conversations yeah i think so too and it's it's that vulnerability thing again that somehow being vulnerable in sharing a physical a visual image feels safer and feels more accessible to people than doing it with words. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful way to start some of those hard conversations because of that. Yeah. Mm. So as we're getting to the top of the hour, um, and we've covered so much, uh, so kind of putting a little bow on the topic, why, uh, why do you think creativity is important? There's the basic answer that creativity is what makes us human. That's got to be a big part of it. Mm -hmm. I think, though, maybe to say it a little differently, creativity encourages us to be humane. I think that it's through creativity that we can have greater access to things like compassion and empathy, where we are less likely to judge someone else's experience and substitute our own, um, our own standards and impose those upon someone else because we appreciate that there are many different ways to see, to smell, to taste, to experience something. And when we practice creativity, because it is a practice, it gives us greater access to that. I think it helps us. It's not just about creating stuff. I think it improves our relationships with people. We can become more present and more loving and more understanding and accepting of each other. Amen to all that. This is exactly why we're having these conversations. Oh my gosh. Shannon, thank you. Thank you this for having me. God, we need to like have another hour to talk again, but um, thank you so much for really being in this space. Um, how, how can people connect with you? Um, well, I, uh, I'm getting back to having a site for human-based photography. I've, I took it down years ago because the troll action was strong and I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. That was hard on my psyche in addition with doing very hard work. Um, I'm thinking about putting that back up, but in the interim, you can visit me on the animal side of things and that's slobberedlens.com. You can also find me on Facebook at slobberedlens. I post quite a bit on Facebook there and that'll give you more of an idea of who I am and what kinds of things I like to do. There's also through slobbered lens, there's some courses on photography and um, there's going to be quite a few more coming out this year because teaching is going to be my focus. Mm, wonderful. 
lots of lucky people to be able to find you and interact with you. Um, so before we say our goodbyes, is there anything that you feel like you've missed? Anything else you want to share? Oh, I, I would borrow a line from Bill and Ted and say, be excellent to each other. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that is a fun movie. But they did just have a new movie not long ago. So <laughs> <laughs> did they really? Yeah. I mean, they're in their, they're both in their fifties, I think. And they did another movie. So funny. I, I don't I remember haven't that. Seen it, but oh my goodness, the idea is hilarious to me. But that's creativity, right? Right, it is. They can exist in in all times. <laughs> oh my gosh, so friggin' powerful. Can exist in all times. Be excellent to each other. So again, Shannon, thank you so much. And those joining us live, thank you so much for being here. Those catching the replay. This space is all about inspiring each other, sharing stories and connecting. So please like, follow, share. You know how it does all those things with the algorithms and all that. Besides that, it's just mostly about more people hearing this. I believe that we have always needed it. And I think we need it now more than ever to be there to support each other. So wherever you are listening in the world, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, a good evening. And Look forward to connecting with you soon again. So goodbye, everybody. Feeling inspired? There are so many ways to do things for you, to get yourself moving, to get your creative juices flowing, and to have fun. Check out I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing. Go to IamCreativePhilly.com. IamCreativePhilly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com and check out the experiential kits, check out Creative Shui, which is all about creative inspiration and guidance. And for Express Yourself Publishing, there's so many multi-author book opportunities. So I would love to chat with you so much. Everybody has, everybody's creative. Everybody has a voice, everybody has an expression, and I can't wait to meet you. Thank you so much for taking this hour to listen to our stories and share the energy. And I wish you a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in this world. Bye, everybody.